Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Okay, what I want to do uh, today is return again to our fears that we discussed last week. We might get back into a normal rhythm depending upon how long this goes on. Um, I can imagine maybe after Easter, if needed, I can even return to our series on Acts. But I I do think it's appropriate uh, to continue to preach to this cultural moment that we are in right now. So I want to pick up the topic again of our fear, but this week I want to do it in a different way. What if we should fear, just not what we think we should fear? I want to propose this morning that our fears are misguided. We fear what we shouldn't, and we don't fear what we should. Meaning, I think what needs to happen for all of us right now is a reordering of our fear. I think we need a healthy dose of perspective. And I thought about our passage as a great place to turn for that because in it, we see the disciples go from improper fear to proper fear. And that simple point is how I'm going to divide the text into two points, improper fear and then proper fear. And let's let's start with what they should not be fearing. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So the description here is pretty straightforward, but I don't want us to miss the significance of this moment. They are out at sea, and a storm unexpectedly rises up. It was so powerful that the waves are crashing over the sides. The boat was filling up with water, and it's on the verge of sinking, meaning they're about to die. They're about to drown. This is not your day-in, day-out troubles. This is a once-in-a-lifetime trouble. In other words, I think if we are going to be faithful to the text, we need to delineate this trial from the normal trials of life. The disciples have troubles. They have concerns. They have anxieties. They have inconveniences in their lives, just like the rest of us. But in our text today, they're about to die. The storm is unrelenting. The water in the boat is rising. It's starting to sink. They are literally staring down their imminent death. That's not something that happens to us every day. So the point I'm emphasizing here is that this passage addresses those unique trials of life that we fear the most. Not the cloudy days, but the eye of the storm, which, of course, 
is the reason why I chose it, because that's where we are. Now, in reality, there are many passages I could have turned to for such a situation because the reality is that um, this is the normal reality for humanity in general and God's people in particular. The Bible is a very desperate book. It's written by and for a people suffering in the deepest possible ways, famine, pestilence, persecution, enslavement, calamity, judgment, you name it. This is the pervasive norm of Scripture, which why you probably have noticed if you've been reading the Psalms uh, recently in these days, you've probably noticed a, an ability to actually connect with them in a way we normally cannot connect. Despite what the American church has been preaching over the past few decades, there isn't much health, wealth, and prosperity in the Bible. And that's why this cultural moment is so significant for us. Typically, when I preach a passage like this, there are, there, there, are, um, there are few in the room who can relate. A few truly desperate souls in the eye of the storm, so to speak. But the majority of us would say, life's not perfect. I've got my inconveniences and frustrations, but for the most part, life's pretty good. And so what I have to do homiletically speaking, is pressed further beneath the surface of prosperity to unveil the desperation that is always there, but we don't realize is there. Well, not today. A pandemic makes the job of a preacher easy. Every single one of us is smack dab in the middle of the storm. You don't have to imagine this text. You're living this text. A tiny microscopic virus has brought prosperous culture to its collective knees. One of the reasons, biblically speaking, the Lord allows calamity to visit the earth, by the way. Every day, every hour, as infections increase, as markets decrease, as isolation continues with no end in sight, as all of this unfolds, we find ourselves in the boat with the disciples, watching it fill up with water, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. So let's watch what unfolds. Verse 38, But he, that is Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Now, the contrast here is unmistakable and intentional. They are terrified. Jesus is napping. In the eye of the storm, Jesus is sound asleep. Now, there are two ways to interpret this, and the disciples interpret it wrongly. The rest of verse 38 says, They woke him up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They interpret his sleep as indifference. Do you not care? We're perishing here and you're asleep. That's one way to interpret things. And this is typically how we interpret things as well. Behind our frustrations, our doubts, our accusations, our panic, lurking behind these emotions is a fundamental distrust in the care of God, or do you not care? When our prayers seem to go unanswered, when our circumstances don't change for the better, when God is silent, our immediate interpretation of God's apparent inactivity is that he must not care. If he did, he would do something. So God, metaphorically asleep in the eyes of a pandemic storm, could be interpreted as a lack of care. 
But there is another way to view Jesus asleep. He's asleep because this isn't a problem at all. The storm does not worry him in the least, so much so that he's going to catch a nap. The message here is that Jesus yawns at what terrifies us. Now, that may seem insensitive, especially in a moment of cultural crisis, but understood rightly, it is incredibly reassuring. God is not surprised by this. He isn't running around in a panic, wondering what can be done. He's okay, because in his understanding, everything's okay. Have you ever been on a flight and the plane starts to make weird noise or you start going through some crazy turbulence and you look at the flight attendant and they are totally at ease walking around doing their business like nothing is wrong. And you know that they understand things a lot better than you. So if they are okay, everything must be okay despite what your inexperienced emotions might be telling you. What you don't want to see is a flight attendant running up and down the aisles, freaking out and shouting, we're all going to die. That would not be good. We might view his nap as insensitive, but which would you prefer in a storm? A Lord who is at ease or a Lord who is freaking out along with the disciples? Listen, Jesus knows what he's doing here. Let's, let's, Let's not kid ourselves. Do you really think it's a coincidence that he chose this moment to take a nap. Nowhere else in the Gospels do we see Jesus asleep, but it just so happens that the moment of his disciples' greatest nightmare is the only time we are told that Jesus is asleep. I'm sure he was tired, but I think it's safe to assume he's making a point here. He's trying to communicate something to them and to us, and it's simple. He has no fear of our greatest fears. Lord, Wake up. Do you not care that we are perishing? You're not perishing. That's what Jesus is saying. And so to all of us, I humbly, with all sensitivity and understanding to this crisis, even still, I ask you to consider your trials from his perspective, not yours. I don't want to minimize suffering nor mock your pain, but I do want to challenge your perspective. Maybe God's apparent silence, his apparent inactivity, is not an indication that he is not caring, but that he is commanding. Maybe storms don't scare him because he's bigger than the storm. Maybe for reasons that belong only to him, he has placed us in the storm and has ordained a time to take us out of the storm, but that time is not now. He's not scared. He's sovereign. Now, let's behold the measures of his sovereignty. Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Now, obviously, verse 39 is what we're all longing for. Calm the storm, O God. End this pandemic. And God does indeed promise his followers that this will happen eventually. He doesn't promise there will be no storms. He does promise the storms will cease. He doesn't promise there will be no weeping. He does promise that joy will come in the morning. Even death itself is a momentary affliction that will give way to eternal peace. And it's at this point that we simply move into the arena of faith. 
are you going to rely upon your interpretation of the storm or are you going to trust Jesus' interpretation? You think this is your worst nightmare. He doesn't. You think it's inescapable. He doesn't. You think it's irredeemable. He doesn't. Whom will you believe? That's where Jesus takes us. Look at verse 40. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Faith. At some point, we choose to walk this storm by faith, not by sight. At some point, we believe our Bible more than the breaking news. Now, this isn't naive faith. Notice he says, have you still no faith? This isn't the first time Jesus has demonstrated his power and faithfulness to them. He has given them every reason to believe that he is good and can be trusted. And so it is for us. You know, we forget his days of faithfulness. We take for granted the provision he provides each passing moment. We forget the endless days where pandemics don't break out and we are cared for and given our daily bread. We forget that all of our previous trials have been for our good. Have you still no faith? Okay, so that makes for a neat, tidy sermon, right? Storm calmed, walk by faith, let's sing and go home. Or (laughs) remain in your homes, I suppose. Well, that's not the end of the passage. What if I told you the disciples now have a much bigger problem on their hands, something infinitely more dangerous than a storm? They recognize it, and we need to as well. Now let's look at proper fear. Verse 41, And they were filled with great fear. The Greek is extreme. The ESV says great fear. I like the NIV here, which says they were terrified. Now why are they so scared? I thought the storm had been calmed. It has. But now they are struck with the reality of the true storm. It says, And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The passage began with the disciples fearing the storm, and it ends with them fearing the one who commands the storm. And they are right to do so. Their fears are now properly ordered. Who is this man? He commands the forces of nature, and the forces of nature obey. And we just had the audacity to yell at him, to accuse him, to doubt him, to question his goodness, his power, his care. What have we done? This is an Isaiah 6 moment. As we read in our Old Testament reading, the prophet encounters the holiness of God and was struck with heavenly terror and all he knows to do is cry out, woe is me. That's what's happening here. This act of power has unveiled Jesus. It has displayed Jesus in his unconstrained might and authority and suddenly the disciples realize holiness is in their boat. And they just yelled at him. Verse 41 is essentially the disciples saying, we've got a bigger problem on our hands, a much bigger problem. We have insulted the God who commands the storm. 
And the text ends there. This lingering question of reverence and fear goes unanswered and the story is over. But it's not over is the point. Jesus relieved their fear of the storm. That was easy. Winds, waves, that's nothing to Jesus. A sentence will take care of that. But it's going to take more than a simple word to calm their true fear. This one won't be so easy. But whatever it takes, Jesus will calm the storm that we deserve. You do realize we deserve it, don't you? Oh, the arrogance of humanity in our daily collective rebellion against our Creator, and then a pandemic comes and we say, where is God? Or how dare you, God? No, no, no. How dare we? How dare we presume upon His kindness as if He owes us prosperity when what we deserve is calamity? You think a pandemic is scary? Wait until we face the storm of holiness that consumes all sinfulness. And yet, our Jesus, our precious, benevolent, compassionate, patient, gracious, and on and on and on, I could go with the superlatives, Jesus is determined nonetheless to calm the storm of our truest fear. They say to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? (laughs) They do not understand the irony of their words. He has come to rescue them from their perishing. But it's a much deeper perishing than they know. For what is now the third week in a row, I want to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. (laughs) I couldn't resist. It's, it's It's just so fitting in our moment. But really, I couldn't resist this week because you remember how I said that Jesus was asleep during the storm, not because he was indifferent, but because he didn't fear the storm. He is asleep because he does not fear what the disciples fear. Well, let me return to the account of Gethsemane, and let me read this week. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. The one who sleeps in peace during storms and pandemics, it says, is greatly distressed and troubled in a garden, a place of peace and tranquility. What could possibly make the one who commands the winds and waves to be so distressed and troubled? He is about to save his people from true perishing. Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Oh, he cares, but he cares about the perishing we ought to care about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. That's the perishing we should concern ourselves with. And for us not to perish in this way, Jesus must perish. He must drink down the cup of God's fury swallow the wrath of God towards sinners like me, he is about to endure the world's true and greatest nightmare. And now listen to the next verse from Gethsemane, which is why I had to close with it. And he returned and found them sleeping. <laughs>
the disciples, who screamed and cried at the sight of a little storm and yelled at the Savior for sleeping, those same disciples are themselves asleep, completely unaware and indifferent to the truest storm. Friends, we have to ask if this is us right now. I want to ask you an incredibly personal question. What is your greatest fear? What is your worst nightmare? Because chances are it's staring you down right now. Is it loss of life for you or a loved one? That's before us. Is it financial destitution? That's before us. Is it loss of control and uncertainty? Yep, that's before us. Is it loneliness and isolation? Is it inconvenience and loss of worldly pleasure and comfort? Yeah, that, that's, that's staring us down. Is it fear of the future for your children and grandchildren? Yep, you should be afraid. The thing about a pandemic is that no anxiety is exempt. You name your nightmare and chances are you are staring it down right now. But friends, these are misplaced fears rooted in misplaced worship. These are fears of losing our idols. What we ought to fear is losing the one true God. What we ought to fear is perishing at the hands of a holy God. This is humanity's truest crisis. Well, what I can offer you this morning as a minister of the crucified one who drank down the cup. If you have trusted in him, your worst nightmare will never come true. I cannot promise you that this pandemic won't take your life, your money, your comfort, your pleasure. I have no promise for your lesser fears this morning. I have one and only one promise. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. That's all I have for you. But that is enough. The tempest of his justice, the waves of his holiness have been silenced. And all is calm. The storm is over and yours is peace with God forevermore. And then, perhaps the news that our greatest fear will never come true can transform the way we endure the lesser fears of this moment. I think that's the way it's supposed to work. I think the reason why Christians can walk through this pandemic and say, even now it is well with my soul, is because it actually is well with my soul. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would calm our fears by showing us that our greatest fear has been calmed. I pray that you would calm the storm around us by showing us that the storm of justice has been put to rest. I pray that in knowing in the assurance. And Lord, give us assurance because even even that fear still lingers. So I pray that there would be no room for that fear, that all of us in Christ would know with confidence we have nothing to fear from you. 
but grace and favor. And I pray that that reality and that truth would bring perspective to these lesser fears. That we could say, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Help us, we pray, in this hour, through Jesus, the one who calms the storms and calms your wrath, we pray. Amen.